Six months ago, Neil Finneran bought a Mosquito Joe franchise resale. He bought small, less than $700,000 in revenue, which means some days he is out in the truck and spraying customer lawns. It's a big change from his days at a hedge fund or as a CFO. He's embraced it, and he actually thinks his years of finance experience give him an edge in running an SMB. But of course, there is still a steep learning curve going from the relative comfort and routine of corporate life to being the operator of a blue-collar business. Neil is still figuring that out, but with a smile. Fortunately, he mostly likes his new role. And he and I try to tease out what it is that makes some formerly corporate people like SMB life while others can't stand it. This is a salient question for so many of you. We also talk about the pest control business, which is one you hear a lot about in the world of buying small businesses. Entrepreneurs are attracted to it for the same reason Neil was. It's easy to understand, and it has recurring revenue. I actually have an interview that will air around the same time as this one with another acquisition entrepreneur who bought a pest control business, and in actually the very same franchise system as Neil. Jesse Sunquist also bought a Mosquito Joe resale, so listen for that episode soon. Okay, please enjoy this conversation with Neil Finneran, owner of a Mosquito Joe territory in Massachusetts. Welcome to Acquiring Minds, a podcast about buying businesses. My name is Will Smith. Acquiring an existing business is an awesome opportunity for many entrepreneurs, and on this podcast, I talk to the people who do it. I want to share an update on the Acquisition Lab. As you know, the lab is a highly vetted, cohort-based accelerator and community for people serious about buying a business. After going through the lab's month-long intensive, you have ongoing access to almost daily Q&A sessions with advisors, regular live deal reviews with Walker Dibel, author of Buy Then Build, potential deal team introductions, and a very active Slack group with other searchers on the path. Well, the update is that the lab recently passed 60 businesses acquired and for well over $100 million in aggregate transaction value. Also, all members now enjoy lifetime access to the lab. Because when you buy a business, it's often just the first of many, and the lab wants to support you in every deal, not just your first. Lastly, check out my recent interview with Shane Ursum, episode 105. Shane acquired a business with over a million dollars in EBITDA in just six months, and he attributes a lot of his deal success to what he learned in the lab. Check out acquisitionlab.com or email the lab's director, Chelsea Wood, chelsea at buythenbuild.com. Neil Finneran, welcome to Acquiring Minds. Thanks for having me. Longtime listener. Great. Great to have you here. Neil, you were a hedge fund guy. Then you were a CFO, but you're sitting here before me now because most recently you acquired a mosquito spraying business. And I love stories like yours, Neil, because buying a business represents such a big career pivot. There's just a lot to learn from that. So we're going to spend the next hour-ish hearing about the why and the how behind your pivot. Please start us off, as always, Neil, with some background on you. Yeah. So um, background on me, you know, I'm from the Northeast. Both you and I went to Brown. That's right. Um, same time. Yeah, class of 01. Um, Didn't know each other. But... No. Uh, coming out of college, uh, I did not know what I wanted to do. I think I followed 
a lot of the other athletes into finance just because that's what you're supposed to do. And I was, I, I went into um, what they call the sell side for a few years, which, uh, you know, is basically trying to get investors to buy or sell stock um, through you. So it's more of a sales role. I, I did not love that role, um, but it got me in the door and it got me interested in finance. Um, and over the, after a few years, I was able to, uh, move into the hedge fund space as an analyst, uh, and a trader in, uh, 06. Um, and you know, that was a great experience. Uh, I was, uh, you know, at a value-based distress hedge fund, um, for those, you know, who know what that is. Um, it was a spinoff of some larger funds. So it worked with very smart people. Uh, analyzing very a ton of businesses, all up and down the capital structure, and looking for ways to make money. So, as a younger guy, um, clearly very fun, profitable business, and it did very well for years. Certainly through the financial crisis. Um, ironically, those are the best years for a business like that, which is much more in the distressed, um, event-driven dislocation side. Mm. So that you know that was really fun, interesting work. Over time, um, I think the days of a few guys, a few Bloombergs, and a few hundred million dollars um, kind of faded away. It got a little more institutionalized. I think money, rightfully so, went to lower fee um, places. Um, just too many smart guys chasing too few ideas. Um, and a, a lot of those uh, value funds kind of faded away along with ours. Our, our performance wasn't horrible, but it wasn't enough to justify those high fees especially in the world of um, zero interest rates. So I made a move around 2018 to leave. Um, I felt like it was time. I felt like you know, I wasn't adding a whole lot of value to the world uh, being there. Um, it did do a stop at an appraisal firm uh, where, I, where I analyzed, um, uh, I valued assets for lenders for, for a year or so. Um, I didn't love that. I wasn't really in the game there. It was more of kind of a, a side player. Um, so around COVID time, 20, late 2019, early 2020, I actually had a friend who launched, he had a distillery for about 10 years, but he launched one of those canned cocktail drinks, think high noon type, um, what's the other one? White Claw, that type of stuff. Yeah. yeah. And it turns out... Um, it was a small, sleepy distillery in Rhode Island, but that that business did pretty well. And, you know, got up close to ten million sales for that product. So he was one guy making the product with you know like thirty five, forty hourly employees, and he just needed another. He just needed help. And I thought, yeah. oh, that's cool. Let's go do it. Um, it was that weird COVID time. We didn't know if the world was going to end, but it turned out people just drank a lot more. Uh, <laughs> so business did well, and I think. Um, in hindsight, I think the timing was right. We thought that brand, uh, it was big in New England, but to grow it, it would be hard uh, to go to additional states. We thought it would be great if we could sell it to a big player um, and move on. Uh, good and bad in that space, the big players really dominate, um, and they have the relationships with the distributors they have is, is really nice, so they can pay. They're not paying SMB small business multiples. They're paying high multiples because they can buy a high multiple and shoot it out to all their distributors and make it a low multiple. So mm -hmm. um, we sold that business. 
uh, that brand um, in t- mid-2021. Um, so after that, I hung around for a year helping them out, but the sales, that was the majority of the sales, so he didn't really need me. Um, I kind of helped him downsize, get out of leases, kind of reduce liabilities for a little while. Um, and then I was looking for the next thing. Um, I wasn't necessarily looking to buy a business. It just kind of, it came to me. Um, I was actually looking for a little bit, looking at businesses on the side. People would call, franchises would call. I would check biz by sell because just as a curious guy, I mean, I'd have read all the books, um, you know, specifically uh, like the H HBS or HBR book. Um, I had that in the back of my mind. So I was more doing that for fun. Just look like looking at businesses as a former investor. Uh, But at the same time I was looking for, um, you know, CFO jobs or family office type jobs. And I have, wasn't having a ton of luck at the, the CFO jobs. I think because I worked at a CFO, a small business, $10 million in revenue. So usually um, those are more controller types, that small company. And then mm-hmm. the bigger ones, I didn't have the bigger experience. Um, I definitely talked to a ton of private equity guys, and they love the investing and operation experience. Just didn't know where to place me, um, which makes sense. Um, so... Yeah, so uh, out of the blue, someone called me. Um, I don't know if I didn't think about it enough, but they said, hey, this pest control franchise, it's like five years old, it's for sale in your neighborhood. Um, you want to take a look? I was like, yeah, sure. Um, so, I, you know, I took a look. It, it's, it's it, you know, we could talk about the numbers, but um, I took a look and I thought it had enough upside. Um, was, with not a ton of downside, you know, we can talk about, you know, buying big versus buying small, what's riskier. And I, I see both sides, but I thought, um, I could make work, have some upside. Maybe it's buying a job, but I think it was buying a job with some upside. Um, and it's a pretty good business once you get it to scale as far as cash flow. Um, hard business, but good business, uh, competitive, but still good. And so, yeah, we did some due diligence, went through with it. <laughs> and here I am well, six months later. Neil, Neil, you skipped to the end. Yeah, yeah we're, exactly. We're, we're going we're gonna to spend a little bit more time on your analysis there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do want to call out something in, in your career. It seems like you time these nas- international crises pretty well, and you're in the right businesses that benefit from them, from the <laughs> dis- distressed in 2008 to yes. a, a, a booze business during COVID. Yes. Uh, well played. Neil, when you say you got this call from, I guess, like a franchise consultant, why did you get that call? Oh, he, he, one of these franchise consultants was calling me for like a year with just showing me franchises, franchises, and franchises. Uh, and... I mean, he's very persistent. I kept on looking at someone, but you know, most most part, um, they wasn't interested in any of them. And then this one popped up as a, just somehow he got in the flow of uh, this resale. Um, yeah, which I like the the I like the fact that um, it was a little you know got to pay for it right a little more I guess. I'm not sure if it costs more, but you know, given that it hasn't built in cash flow. But I just liked the thought of it. You know, already had a pretty good territory, pretty good brand name. 
Uh, and it, is that was at that specific point that uh, that caused you to pay attention to this one, where before when he'd call you, you'd kind of dismissed it. Was it like, oh, this uh, one actually has cash flow, so I'll yeah, take another look at this that, one. And a lot of the other ones were more like um, I mean, a long build out, a long payback period, uh, unproven um, business, um, a bad territory, just uh, everything else seemed like I could, you know, or just, just wasn't interested. So um, there's always something, you know, I could knock off. And, you know, I wasn't really interested in franchises, like it wasn't like a goal, but. He just happened to call on this um, this one that was for sale. Yeah. Check some boxes. Um, that was a resale. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And so you you said it was a, a good business, but hard. What did you, what, what was a, what was good about it? I think, you know, um, what's good about it is um, it's very high margin, you know, um, like a lot of those, these, uh, these type of home services businesses, they're, they're hard and the, the managing labor is hard, but the cost, like the pure cost of the service relative to the cost of the material and the labor, um, is a, builds in a lot of, um, margin. Um, uh, so I like that. It's, it's pretty high cash flow if you get the customer. Yeah. And did you, can you give us a sense what high margin means to you? Well, yeah, I mean, I think, let's say we treat somebody's yard for, for 100 bucks. I'm just throwing out the numbers. Um, you know, you got to pay somebody uh, an hourly salary. Um, mm -hmm. Maybe it takes them 15, 20 minutes to treat that property. Um, you got to rent a van and, and, and buy some equipment. Um, but in the, the actual materials, you know, probably, I don't know, five to 10 bucks. So, mm -hmm. so you do all that. Um, you know, I mean, you do that 15 times a day. Um, it's pretty good once you get ramped up, you get some pretty <laughs> tight routes and, and a lot of customers, uh, it's hard to get customers and there's a lot of marketing expense, but if you can get them and keep them, um, it's, it can be a pretty good return. Well, I want to spend some time a little bit later on what is hard about this business because I think what's hard about it is are elements that many people listening will not need to be prepared to experience or may are already be experiencing in their businesses. Yeah. But I, I, before we kind of get off here, I want to also just understand a little bit about your kind of like emotional um, – decision to do this because sure this this franchise consultant had been calling you a lot um but you'd almost basically always said no or not really been interested and then this time you're kind of interested and then you do it and and as i said at the top this is a pretty big pivot from yeah. being a cfo uh what your, what your most recent thing and, mm -hmm. and before that you know kind of high finance hedge fund yeah. world so so how did you think about that did, and did you have to sell it to anybody in your family i know you got a family i mean luckily and i think this that's probably a common theme in your podcast. Um, it's good to have a supportive wife. So she's like almost too supportive. So yeah, go for it. Go for it. I believe in you. But that, that's super <laughs> important. And I recommend to all the, the guys and girls out there, if you don't have that, I'm sure it becomes very hard. Um, so she was always super supportive. Um, so, you know, so that, so, and my kids are, you know. Um, they, they don't get a say. They don't get a say. They don't, even, they just, they don't <laughs> They're not going to say totally. Um, 
How many kids do you have? I have two. Yeah. So uh, 15 and 12. Okay. And, you know, there's, you know, buying a small business when you're 30 and, and single is different than buying one when you're yeah. our age uh, with a family and, and mouths to feed. Yeah. So there's a, there's kind of a, a your, I assume your risk um, tolerance is probably lower, even though you did it, is lower than other people listening who are 30. Yes. Uh, so how did you think about that is a bit of a leading question because I'm also kind of trying to get at the fact that I think you have a bit of a cushion, like you have some savings. Yeah. Um, yeah. So so talk us through that if you can. Share what you can there. Yeah. So, I mean, um, that's totally true. I mean, I think there's something to be said for, like, I think you had someone on recently who who's actually had a similar background to me, but just younger and sleeping on couches. And for him, a personal guarantee is different than, you know, personal guarantee and me funding, you know, any losses or expenses, um, given the, you know, obviously the responsibility you have when you're, when you're older. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's, that's, uh, that's t definitely something to think about. And, you know, sometimes it keeps you up at night. Um, you know, I think the good thing about having a little bit of cushion as, as you're older, if you saved up, you know, some, you know, I could go for a while and not, you know, go for years and not even, you know, pay myself and still like make it out to the other side. And that, you know, that adds, it adds some comfort. Um, it also allows you to um, make better long-term decisions. So um, if you don't have that cushion, you might be more apt to cut muscle and they, you can see how a few decisions, decisions could, could be a spiral, not, not having a cushion. So, you know, there's both. I mean, I think if you're 30, yeah, you should go for it. And if you have a cushion and responsibility, it, it does, it does allow you some advantage as well. So I don't yeah. know if those are right or wrong. Um, I think buying a little small, um, for me, it both kind of, it, if it increased the risk or decreased the risk, I think the super downside is decreased. Um, like, you know, if you bought a business 10 times as much, everything was 10 times, you'd have a lot more cash flow ability. But if it went wrong, you're really screwed. Um, whereas this goes wrong, I feel, still feels like a bump, an annoying bump, but manageable. Um, you're, you're not going to be ruined by I'm it. I'm not going to be ruined. So it's, you know, you know, probably ideally you'd buy that enduringly profitable business that has a niche and you pay three times and, you know, and maybe that's the way to do it, but who knows, you know, um, what it's hard to find those. August Felker is a two time successful searcher. First with a traditional search fund. The second time around, he did a self-funded search. Today, August runs Oberly Risk Strategies, an insurance firm with a dedicated practice group for searchers and acquisition entrepreneurs like you. If you've got a business under LOI, Oberly will provide complimentary due diligence on that business's insurance and benefits program. A great no-risk way to get to know August and team. They love helping searchers. They've worked with hundreds. Oberly is a specialty insurance brokerage for searchers by a former searcher. Check out Oberly-Risk.com, O-B-E-R-L-E hyphen risk.com, link in the show notes.
And Neil, I don't think you said, can you give us, put some numbers around this business that, that you've said now yeah. is that buying small? Yeah. So um, it, it was approximately a little less, you know, less than a million in revenue in 2022, uh, like a little less than 700. Um, I'll probably grow it like less than I hoped, but I'll probably grow it like 10%. Um, even now it should probably get to 20% margins before debt service. So it's not a lot of mm -hmm. cash flow, um, but good margins and it's something. Mm -hmm. And so tying this now to the previous question about your cushion and where you are in life, you're not paying yourself, right? You're reinvesting. I haven't uh, paid myself in reinvesting. Yeah, I mean, I could probably you're, you're reinvesting all the dollars back into the business. Yeah, yeah. So I just want to build up some cash to get through the off season because it is seasonal. Um, put a lot of in uh, you know, marketing, and then I did borrow some SBA debt. So I'm actually not only taking some out, but even just like a few hours ago, I just paid down some SBA debt with some savings because the loan rates are so high, and. Um, I think that's something people definitely have to, if they're, they're thinking they buy, lever up and buy with SBA loans at floating rates, prime plus a couple hundred basis points. It, uh, it, it's a lot of cash flow. So, um, yeah. So, I so you, bought, you bought some of that debt down just now? Yeah, I just now. bought some of just an hour ago. I was like, this is crazy. I can't be paying <laughs> double digit interest rates. Um, well, I have this money over here in the stock market. Like, I feel like I'd rather. You know, I own it anyway. And you did that with money from the business or from your own? Oh, my savings, own savings. savings. Yeah. 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 Okay. So, yeah, that, that, I think that's going to change a lot of the, like the, I'll be interested to see how that plays out over the next uh, year or so, the impact of the interest rates um, on businesses and, and uh, acquisitions. And because um, it, it, are you has, bearish? I mean, do you think that we're going to see more kind of carnage than, than we have? I think you probably, We'll still see some carnage and very interest rate sensitive assets like real estate. Probably still have time to play out. Um, I'm trying not to get too macroy on bearish bullish, but I do think uh, it's definitely something to think about for your listeners and really think about the real cost. Don't just assume it's free money, but really run the numbers. Mm -hmm. um, is important as far as the impact in the economy. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Um, interesting uh, for every you know bar that's awesome savers so if you have extra money you can earn five percent nothing which is also not bad so yeah um yeah okay well let's uh, let's dive into the business a little more so it's basically doing about a little under 700 so let's just call it 700 uh thousand a year in 2022 right did i get that right yeah, that, yeah last yeah. year yep and so that translates to how many people how many employees? Uh, I have one office manager who answers the phone and does some, you know, uh, uh, administrative work. And then I have the uh, the technicians at Spray, and that's uh, that's right now. I'm I have I've had between five and seven all year. Uh, mm -hmm. Come in and come out, a few of them, but I have a, kind of five right now as we get towards the end of the year. Now, one of the aspects of buying small, particularly particularly in a blue collar business like this, although perhaps in really any business, 
is there's less cushion to use that word again, but in this case, we mean manpower. So you're probably working very much in the business or yeah. what? What, 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 what was your expectation and what has the reality been? I mean, my expectation was uh, to be working in the business for a mm -hmm. while until I, I would guess I'd have to get sales up at least twice as much to probably get some more out of the business, I think. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, I'm in it. And, uh, you know, it, you got to, yeah, when it's this small, you got to be willing to roll up your sleeves. A guy calls out, like, obviously there's days where I'm outside, you know, from a hedge fund outside for spraying for mosquitoes in a few years. So, I mean, you got to be <laughs> humble enough to do that um, and roll with the punches. And that's, that's not unexpected. Yeah, okay. So you were, you were, um, that was something you signed up for because I've mm -hmm. had guests on who bought a little smaller, a business like this, not necessarily uh, pest control or mosquito spraying. And when they find themselves being in a, in a pinch, having to do the work itself, you know, it's, it's a rude awakening, but you yeah. were, you were totally on board and it's part of your plan really even. Yeah. I mean, I thought, yeah, I got to fill in, um, probably build some goodwill with the employees that they see me going out there sometimes too. So, um, it's not ideal, uh, but, uh, you, you kind of, you know, try to keep your word when you tell customers you're going to show up. I, I don't, you know, I, I would rather if I can maneuver it and me show up, then, then kind of canceling and say, you know, making up some excuse. So yeah. it's the right thing to do. Yeah. And uh, aside from, from that, being able to like know that you're going to service customers and, uh, and not leave anybody hanging, have, has it been beneficial in your learning about the business? Uh, and the other thing that you mentioned where it's kind of earned you some cred with your, with your team, Yeah, those two, I, to take those at, at, separately yeah i think both uh it helps for the credibility um uh for knowing the business for being able to kind of you know i get a lot of the complaints too when you have you know 1100 customers you know you're gonna get i don't know four or five calls a week at least of this and that i got bit by a mosquito so just kind of knowing you know kind of knowing what, what the process is and how to do a good job um it, it helps for management. It helps for respect from the employees. Um, and it helps for when I, I train new employees. Um, I know what I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> when you said that you get a call, if somebody gets bit by a mosquito, I thought you were being yeah. uh, metaphorical, but you probably literally do get a call. If some, one of your customers gets bitten by a mosquito, yes. they're like, uh -huh. this isn't supposed to happen anymore. Mm -hmm. What's the deal? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. You mentioned you got to be humble uh, from from hedge funds to mosquito spraying. Talk, talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I think it's just it's just I I am fine with it, but I think there probably is a perception of like going from Bloomberg's and serving on credit you know creditors committees. And, going through restructurings and uh, working for a billion dollar hedge fund to, you know, um, spraying for mosquitoes. I, I don't really think about it, but, um, I can see how that, you know, um, could be, you know, hard. And if you take a step back, you're like, what the hell, how'd this, how'd I end up here? 
Um, but you know, it is what it is. You kind of, I didn't have a plan to go hedge fund to CFO to mosquito Joe. Um, but it's kind of how it rolled out. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's just, it's just the way things are and, uh, just doing the best I can with, um, with it. Well, I think one of the questions, um, that feeds into this, the, the, the ego question is also what your, what your plans are. So if if you're only gonna kind of keep the business at a small level, then maybe that's um, you know there's more for your ego to accommodate there than if you're intending to you know build a a um, pest control empire. Mm-hmm. And when your ego gets the better of you, you can say to yourself, "Well, no, this is just step one yeah. of a of a master plan of world domination." Yeah. So which is it for you? I think I have a loose plan, you know, sometimes you get into these, the, the franchises have a, a lot of, you know, positives and negatives, but I think I do have a, now that I'm in, there is a, in my, in my head, I feel like there might be some opportunity, um, especially, you know, maybe some of the other surrounding franchisees are older, or I could probably hopefully roll up a little more at more reasonable multiples in the first one without adding a lot of big fixed costs um, uh, and just kind of buying incremental revenue at a reasonable price. I think there may be some opportunity for that over time, whether it's an empire, I don't know. Um, but could it be several million in, in revenue? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that, in that, that'd probably be enough, you know, for me. Um, so that is, that is in my head as, uh, being a, a finance guy. I think that might be even lower risk, uh, than just trying to, you know, do as much as I can with the hand I'm given. One of the, I think really compelling things about this world, speaking purely from, um, you know, money perspective is that there is a pretty clear path to earn a million bucks a year. If you, you know, if, if we'll just assume as, as very kind of napkin math generalization that, that many of these kind of home services businesses are operating at 20% margins. Yep. If, you can get to fi- if you can get to $5 million in revenue, which is a big, a bigger one of yeah. these businesses, yeah. it's not a huge, uh, it's kind of a medium size. Yeah. Um, you're at a million dollars a year, yeah. which is really a pretty elite place to, to be, not to mention comfortable, right. <laughs> not to mention fat and happy. Um, yep. so it, it's pretty, you know, it's pretty interesting. And I, and I've, and I've had more than one guest say, you know, they bought one in particular comes to mind. He, he bought small and his kind of five-year plan was to, to, uh, build and or acquire his way up to $5 million in revenue to hit a million dollars and take home every year. And, yep. um, at that point he just cruise or, who knows what, but yeah. if you're making a million dollars in cash a year, you've yeah. got a lot of options. Yeah, um, it definitely, so. it definitely would be risk. I mean, I, I think, um, having a plan like that and even getting 50, 75% there, that's something you pretty sure you can execute on. I think it, uh, it's, it's, it's some ways it's less risky than not doing it. Um, if you can manage it well and, you know, um, yeah, that, that definitely, uh, I put, I'm definitely putting feelers out and we'll see what happens. It might, you know, take some time, 
Um, so have to be patient. Feelers to to what to acquire? Well, I just meant yeah, just mention it to the franchisor and say, hey, just a heads up. If something makes sense that I can fold in reasonably with that, you know, uh, ideally, you know, almost like that. I think Walmart was very, let's, you know, win the local market and grow from there. If it's close enough where it can, it's an incremental ad, not like buying in a different state where you're kind of starting from scratch, yeah. but yeah. where you get some synergies um, is, is a reasonable playbook if it works. You know, if, it, if it, yeah. the situation comes up and you have a reasonable seller. Quick plug, uh, somebody that you know, uh, Jesse Sunquist, uh, who has been on the podcast before, about a year ago, have, he'd been searching for a year and he came on kind of having written this essay on Search Funder about what it's like being a year into the search without having bought a business. Well, yeah. Uh, shortly thereafter, he did buy a business and I'll be interviewing him shortly. And what did he buy? But he also bought a uh, Mosquito Joe uh, territory or two. I, I, one and then I think maybe he's uh, bought yeah. another one. Okay, two. Okay. I, I talked to Jesse uh, quite a bit. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's great. So, so speaking of multiple territories and franchisees, why did this territory come up for sale? And the very franchisees that you're now interested in potentially yeah. buying out, why didn't they buy it before it hit the open market? That's a good question. And, and, and was that a red flag? Yeah. Red flag. Um, it was. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's definitely a red flag, especially uh, in the franchise world. Um, but I knew the area pretty well. I grew up uh, in Andover, Mass, which is, you know, one of the towns in my territory. So I, I thought the territory was pretty good. Um, I, I talked, well, that, I, the, the seller was mid sixties. I think he, um, was very in the business. I mean, he, and I'm out in the, I'm out there spraying for bugs once in a while. He's probably out there at, at least twice as much as me. Um, mm. and so I think it, Took a lot, a lot out of them, but you know why didn't the um, other franchisees buy it? I think they kicked the tires, um, but you know they they just didn't they just didn't want. They were very comfortable um, where they were. Um, the two closest ones are actually run by the wife of well, you know even the wives run it and the, and the husbands work other jobs um and they're doing already doing at least twice as much as revenue as me maybe two to three times so it seemed like they were pretty comfortable with where they're at in the cash flow and they thought god it'll be such a headache to grow this i'm doing fine well that's also nice because you know i don't know it may not be apples to apples that maybe their territory is larger but if you see that a neighboring territory is doing a lot more than the one that you're contemplating buying. Yeah. Maybe that tells you that the ceiling is a lot higher than, yep. than the than the one you're con considering buying is at. That's right. That was a big part of my thought process. Um, I thought, hey, I'm buying it, you know, at this, but it has the potential to do more just if I can get even, you know, close to where they are. And so is the multiple you know, really X or is it half of X, right? So um, you have to get there. I think tricky now, with, and, and I knew this buying it. I mean, it's been so many weird years that I don't know if you can get the same growth you had and definitely at home services. Like these COVID years were probably such a pull forward. 
So mm-hmm. I think it's going to be harder to get there. So I don't think it's going to be a, like snap of the fingers. Um, but I, I think over time with good service, um, improved marketing, um, uh, there's definitely room to get more market share. You had mentioned when, when just a minute ago when we were talking about uh, accumulating more and you know getting to a higher um, larger business, higher aggregate revenue. Uh, and you said, as a finance guy, you're, you're kind of thinking along those lines. Mm-hmm. It, um, so that that's kind of a tease up this question, which is, do you do you think that your history in kind of deeply in finance, hedge funds, than being a CFO, and really kind of understanding finance at a probably much deeper level than many small small business owners, does that give you any advantage here? I was, yeah, I was thinking about the other day. Um, I think knowing the numbers uh, helps you make um, good decisions. You know what a customer is worth, so do you place this marketing bid over here? What the chances are? Does you know the payback? I think knowing those really feeling the numbers. I think if if you want to like you know, and I'm as a value guy, I'm always looking at downside. I'm sure a lot of your um, listeners and you know. Um, Guess. Former guests stress out a little. They're probably up, at, you know, and I do the same thing. Like I'm six months in, so I'm at that like three in the morning looking at the the ceiling. Um, I think having that finance background, looking at the numbers, uh, helps to calm some of those fears because you can say, okay, if revenue does this, I cut this. I, I cut that. I can do this. Um, and so I think. Knowing the numbers gives you some comfort as far as investing and also as far as contingency um, analysis um, as well. Uh, yeah. That's helpful, you know, yeah. knowing those. Um, yeah, it's kind of like it would allow you, it allows you to do surgery on, yeah. on the business if you need to. I mean, you know what pulling this string or cutting this out. Um, yeah. You know, you kind of you can maybe do that anal- analysis. Um, you're quite comfortable in that that analysis. Yep. It's also, you know, the thing about being a small business owner is that um, you're you're an operator first, but you are, you know, we, we think about investors as kind of a different mindset. Uh, you know, it's, they're capital allocators. They think about the best, you know, w- best place to place yeah. X number of dollars. Yeah. But really, a small business owners making all those same choices, or, or yeah. should be thinking about things that way, because mm-hmm. a dollar mm-hmm. put into X is is removing that dollar from being put into Y. So you're always you yeah. should always be evaluating your choices of X, Y, and Z, and doing that analysis financially is a big part of it. Maybe yeah. there are other considerations, strategic considerations, people considerations, but certainly financial yeah. <laughs> should should be part of it. Um, and if you're already at home with that mindset because you've spent a career in it, it comes to you naturally. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just got to make sure I uh, don't get too caught up in the spreadsheets and, and, uh, you know, make sure, you know, you manage the guys and, you know, make sure they do a good job. But, um, yeah, there's, there's positive and negatives to it. Um, but you know, absolutely. You're, you're, you're definitely a hundred percent right. I remember from our pre-call you, you telling a little story about, um, your previous seller and how he wouldn't, give a freebie or if somebody said, you know, got bitten by a mosquito, it would ask that you come back to the yard, to the person's yard and respray. Yeah. Previous owner would say, hell no, 
you say what? And what, what's the what you know, kind of? Or, I say, uh, yeah, hell yes. You, you keep them happy if they smell a mosquito. I'm, I'm going out there. And it doesn't make the guys as happy. And you know, I try to explain it to them that the value of and explain it to us what what's the explanation there? oh i think you know when you think about the, the, like we said earlier the cost of uh, doing a service versus the lifetime value of a customer if you keep them happy and you can keep them coming back um i think we had you know 80 to 90 percent 85 percent retention the, the lifetime value of that customer is really high if you go out there a bunch of times a year and so to um risk that over 15 20 bucks um, is it doesn't make sense. And then when you think about, uh, you know, the cost to acquire a customer, God, I mean, marketing relative to new customers is hundreds. Uh, it's over $200, I think, this year. Um, so um, we spread the marketing over new customers. So uh, to spend that 10, 15 bucks is, is a no-brainer. I keep them as happy as possible. And so just give us a sense what is... Uh, the lifetime value of a customer. I guess if he's doing, I'm doing gross margin with all the incremental margin, credit card fees and royalties. Uh, I would say if they go out there seven or eight times, I bet it's like 50% margin. So I don't know. So they're probably worth a few hundred bucks, 400 bucks a year. And if they're at 80%, um, retention 80 85 it's probably at least i mean i guess it's, if you do the math the software guys would be able to do the math in their head i bet it's probably at least a few years yeah um of value so it's probably 1500 to 2000 call it call it 1500 ish i don't know yeah 50 and, and by the way 1500 net 1500 cash flow, yeah right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. before the like op like rent um but yeah pure like gross margin uh yeah, paying the tech, paying royalties, paying credit card fees. Yeah, I think it's probably fifty percent. So when that when a customer calls and says, "I got bitten by a mosquito," can you come back out? And your your calculation is yeah, fifteen keep retain fifteen hundred. Yeah, uh, spend twenty dollars to retain fifteen hundred. Yeah. seems pretty. Yeah, seems and pretty then logical. and then knowing that the cost of a new customer is, is, is yeah, exactly, is a couple few hundred. Um, with cost per click being so high right now and so competitive. To get a customer, it's much better to retain. Uh, you, yeah. do, you definitely want to retain and grow, but you don't want to lose them over um, 20 bucks. Yeah. At, at a pride, Great. Too, which is probably a lot of it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I, I, as, I, as I recall the story, it was kind of like an angry kind of like, no, I'm not, you know, go yeah. back out there. And, and it was, so it wasn't even... It wasn't even uh, rational or, or um, rational if wrong. It was just yeah. pure emotion. <laughs> I mean, I, I think, yeah, he's a great guy. I think he takes a lot of pride in the work, uh, his training and the quality of the work. Uh, so I get I get what, where that comes from. Yeah, I don't mean to um, disparage him because yep. I, I haven't worked directly with consumers, but being one and, and seeing oh. the behavior of the general public. I, I you know, yeah. I, I know that dealing with people in, in their homes yeah. is super yes, difficult. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I caught up with Jesse Sunquist uh, a few weeks ago. Oh, okay. Uh, ahead of our, ahead of our interview. And I, one thing on this point, I'm reminded that he said, and I'll just get your reaction is one of the distinct things about a home services business like yours it, it versus a, a business. It, so it, 
taking just B2C businesses, consumer businesses, you can either have like a retail restaurant or something where consumers come to you into yeah. your environment and it's yeah. your controlled environment. Yep. Option A. Option B is a home services business like yours where you're going into the environments of the public. You're going yeah. into their homes. Yeah. And we are all very protective of our homes in particular about our homes. Yeah. And, and Jesse was like, you know, neither is perfect. You know, yeah. you pick your poison. But there is definitely a lot of things that can go wrong when you yeah. are sending people, you know, your crews into, you know, there, there's basically 100 or 150 or 200 points of contact, you know, put you, your people in other people's homes. Yeah you know, every week or so. Yep. So it's Driving a lot. around, like, yeah, imagine just pulling people's driveway and just, you know, uh, miscommunication or you step on a flower or let the dog right. out. Jesse coming back for, is, is he coming back for another podcast soon? Or, or he, he is. Okay. He, he's coming back very soon. In fact, I, I might bunch your episodes in the same week and have Mosquito yeah. Joe Week on Acquiring Love Lines. It. <laughs> yeah. We'll see. We go, I mean, we, I mean, go back, we go back and forth with some more stories. Uh, with uh, the, the labor and customers, so it's fun. I do want to ask, going back to this this LTV uh, lifetime value versus loss of a customer or acquiring a new customer um, thing again, because it's so fundamental to just recurring revenue businesses and customer acquisition and the yeah. math there. Yeah. The if if you're telling me yes, two hundred dollars to acquire a customer sounds expensive, or maybe even a few hundred dollars. Yeah. But 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 if they're worth fifteen hundred, sure. Why is the argument not just pour money into Google Ads? You know, you're you're profitable all the way up to fifteen hundred dollars as long as you're not paying over fifteen hundred dollars to acquire. Now I know we were doing napkin math, so maybe yeah. it's not exactly that. But the delta that currently exists between your lifetime value of a customer and what you're paying to acquire them is still there's still a lot of room there yeah, for you to true. just pour money into it. And that's true. I mean, um, yeah, I think you got to balance that with cash flow. I, I think if you are uh, like a SaaS company and a bunch of investors, you probably would. I don't know. I don't know how much you can push to. Like, I think there, I think there is a probably diminishing returns. Um, yeah. I mean, we put we we spend a lot of like that. I told you about that money. It's costing maybe it might have cost three hundred dollars a customer this year if I'm doing the math. But of the few hundred customers I got, I would bet at least a hundred of them were just referrals. So I, I don't know if the marketing even got them. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm not sure if doing more would have done anything. I, I don't know. It's a good question. Yeah. Um, if I knew I could get, if I knew I could spend more and get customers at 150 to 200, I'd probably do it. I just don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if, if you, how far you can push that and where the really, where it sits. I mean, I think I, I think I'd like to be 10% of sales, and it's probably a little over that this year. Like that's manageable. Um, but if you really could play that game, if I if I thought you pay more and you could keep it even at 150 to 200 bucks, I totally agree with you. You do it. I just don't know. Yeah. I don't know if that yeah. is linear like that. Yeah, I'm still learning the whole marketing thing. I'm sure. uh, that's my weak spot. I just kind of trust the people. Well, thank you for uh, another segue, which is I want to ask about buying a franchise. So one of the things, so I want to spend some time here, um, but one of the things that franchises, franchisors often offer is kind of to do the marketing for you and, or, you know, to send you leads. It sounds yep. like in, in this case, Mosquito Joe does not send you guys leads. The marketing is in your hands. Uh, they, they have some required spend 
Um, so they do send out a lot of post, you know, direct, I think they're changing it maybe, but they do have some required spend, uh, per territory that has to go through them and it comes out via, you have some options within it. So you can kind of whatever, however you want to met that menu, um, Mm-hmm. Uh, direct mail or more like emails or display ads or all, all that stuff or YouTube, I think. Um, but they have some requirement spend, which is mostly, mostly, but you know, it's probably both a good thing and a bad thing because you could see people not spending and then probably not good for anybody. So maybe some of that for yeah. spend is good as long as it's done well. Yeah. And then I spend above that with some, you know, outside of that, I spend a little more. Okay. Where I have gotcha. uh, like, you know, whether it's pay-per-click or putting up a little league sign or something um, or some social media spend. But yeah. Okay. Or yard signs or stuff like that. Some of the old school stuff works pretty good too. And what else about buying uh, into a franchise system? Neil, any, what, what would you share with the audience? I mean, you're giving up, you know, you're giving up a lot on the, on the um, you know, they're taking, uh, you know, in our case, eight to 10% of sales, depending on your size. Uh, it scales down as you get, you know, over a million, I think. So that's, you know, it's a lot of money as you get big, but um, they do provide, I think that I really like the branding. I feel like it'd be hard for me to get Neil's Mosquito Control brand. I mean, I think people know the brand almost nationally, uh, I think. Um, so that's helpful. Um, I, I, I really like the ownership uh, um you know, it, it is part of a bigger company called Neighborly, which is part of KKR owns. Um, so, I mean, it is Oh, big. it's a Neighborly brand. Yeah, okay. it's a Neighborly brand. Um, okay. So, there, there's some good and bad. I, I like the people. I think the it's nice having the community. Probably the best thing is the community of other owners uh, as far as best practices and tips and tricks. Like, you know, uh, how do you guys incentivize your technicians or how do you do this and all that you do have a community of uh i don't know well, at least 100 100 plus other business owners doing the yep. same thing and so um that's good and as far as all the the technical stuff like you know you have the bug people at mosquito joe so like i'm not like uh it's not like i was passionate about bugs before i started this so it's nice to have like a entomologist to say hey what do you do with this bug what is this how do you treat this um so there's some mm-hmm. support there so i didn't have to be an expert in it i have some support so all that mm-hmm. you know pluses and minuses well one of the other big pluses of buying into a franchise system is that um it unlocks the potential for what aj wasserstein the professor at uh, yale school of management calls programmatic acquisition so which is basically just buying uh, buying up more territories, but doing it kind of very systematically yes. with the, the plan of doing it. Just the, 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 what we were talking about before, yeah. inorganic acquisition of your of contiguous territories yep. and growing that way. Yeah. Um, and and franchise franchise systems make that so easy for two big reasons. First, uh, the the integration is trivial yep. compared to integrating to independent businesses. That's yep. huge because integration is a, a big part of where acquisition fails. Yep. And two. All of the other owners are known to you. I mean, you got the, the contacts of all of them, so you could email them all tonight and say, "Hey, I'm looking to 
buy more territories. Yeah. Contact me if you're interested. Absolutely. <laughs> Which is pretty powerful. Yeah. So have we said everything that you wanted to about buying big or versus, versus buying small? Was there anything more there to say? No. Yeah. I just like, I go back and forth in, in hindsight, you know, should I have, this one really, I wasn't like looking hard, like maybe Jesse was, or some of your other guests would look for a year and that they look at thousands and thousands of businesses. It was more just kind of, I was mostly looking for a job and this kind of came to me. So it, you know, in hindsight, should I have gone bigger and looked a lot harder and find a more niche, you know, uh, high barrier to entry business? I think that's, you know, that's a, also another way. I mean, it's hard, mm-hmm. to, you know, in hindsight, but uh, I think I can make this work. So I think it's all going to work out. Um, but yeah, I think I, I, I've read the arguments big and small, and I think both can work. I don't think that's the right yeah. answer. Well, you you remind me of one other point about buying big versus buying small. This isn't, you know, it's not like you can only buy one business in your life. Right. Uh, your yeah. your mid career. So if you right. got this to a point of revenue where you could put in an operator mm-hmm. and it's throwing off a you know significant six yeah. digits every year, then you can go do another search. That's right. And uh, and be that much richer and wiser when you approach it. That's true. So, Absolutely. Uh, and 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 operationally, you know, savvy. Mm-hmm. You know, like you have mm-hmm. operated a, a business. Yep. Spe- speaking of which, so <laughs> Mr. Former Hedge Fund, Mr. Former CFO, what what has it been like to become uh, an operator of a blue collar business? You've already talked about a little bit about the ego of, oh, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, but what about actually the the day to day and dealing with angry customers and spraying bugs sometimes, and most importantly, managing managing your staff. Managing the staff is probably the hardest part of all those mm-hmm. three. Um, Customers usually, you know, you get them on the phone for the most part. You can even turn a negative into a positive, just just being nice and, and uh, adding some extra customer service more so than they're used to, especially in, the, mm-hmm. in some of these blue-collar industries. So that hasn't been a huge problem, but the labor, the, managing the this blue-collar labor is, is just, uh, it's hard. Um, it's... Uh, I, I mean, I like the guys. I, I think I actually get along pretty well with them. Um, but you got to somehow be tough, but also roll, learn to roll with the punches a little bit with them, which can be frustrating. Um, I think there's like a high chance that I, if I have five guys tomorrow, there's like, I feel like there's a 50% chance that one of them will something. I, I don't know, something. For some reason, they won't show up. Um, and that's, uh, that is uh frustrating um but i think it's part of the game and you kind of got to roll with it i think i think you can get really worked up about it uh but i think it might be just the nature of it yeah yeah and so how do you how do you deal with it if every other day somebody isn't somebody isn't showing up does that mean every other day neil does the work with that for that work i know would do? I mean, are you are you, are you over hiring so to to kind of you have excess capacity or what yeah i think right now i'm a little tight but early in the year i had a little excess so i was almost like fine um but it wasn't a big deal um i think uh you know i think you try to hire better and you try to get rid of um you know fired a few people this year maybe one or two you try to make maybe that fire decision a little quicker um i think maybe next year i'm thinking about 
I don't know. I'm going back and forth on whether they do a little bit of incentive bonus, just like it weekly if they hit certain production numbers. But I might go a little more aggressive on the incentive. You get a percent of the revenue you produce plus a little more if you show up every day, unless it's like at least a week in advance. So I'm trying to think if I, as opposed to managing the discipline into them, is there a way to incentivize the discipline into them mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. and the reliability? So I'm thinking about that for next year. Um, but I, it, part of it, it's just this stuff happens, um, I think, at this level. And you got to be able to like, um, roll with it. Because I think, uh, uh, you know, some of these guys, I think we pay pretty well, well relative to other pest mosquito control companies. But they're not making a lot of money. So, like, one emergency in their house and they're in, in their family, it, it really affects them, right? So, you know, yeah. they're a few hundred dollars away from a crisis. So, you know, it, it's it's hard, but um, I think you just kind of know when to, you know, roll with it. I'm sure yeah. Jesse will have some additional comments, too. Uh, well, well, Neil, I, I, let me, let's press on this a little bit because yeah. it's such a, I, I, uh, I, I hear you that you just got to roll with it, but it does seem like some people can roll with it and some people can't. Yes. And, and, you know, there's this, there's, um, kind of this sense among SMB owners, like of the very white collar person coming from a white, from a, from a finance background yeah. Like liking the napkin math of buying a small business yeah. and getting in way over way over their head yes. because the culture of small business is so foreign yep. uh, and so rough around the edges compared to what they're used to. Absolutely. And sure enough, some of those people do get in over their heads, really don't like what it's all they about. Hate it, right. And they hate it and they run away screaming, made it make a huge mistake. It's not for them, whatever, yeah. whatever the unhappy outcome looks like. Yeah. Um, meanwhile, you are saying, yeah, it's hard, <laughs> kind of with a twinkle in your eye and kind of a half smile, but yeah. there's something about your personality, I guess, that allows you to tolerate it or maybe even like it a little bit. What, what do you think the right person? So for somebody who's listening to this, who's W2'd and they're used to a nice controlled corporate environment, how do they know if there's somebody like you who can handle it or there's somebody like other folks who really can't, won't be able to handle it. Yeah, I don't, I mean, you're going to have to learn to handle it to some respect. I mean, it, um, I, don't, I don't know. I think it's definitely, like you said, it's hard. It's definitely hard. It's definitely a big factor. I probably didn't appreciate it enough. I was more like you, like, oh, the napkin works. So, you know, the, you know, back in the napkin, they do pay this per hour. They charge this much. It's awesome. But actually doing it day to day and and managing around that, it's like, um, the full, you know, it's a, a lot of my time just managing the logistics of the labor, um, and the changes. And, and so, um, I think the answer is, um, you probably want to pay a buck or two higher per hour than the other guy. Um, you, and you all, but you know, and you, hopefully you get a good core group, which I think I do have a good core group and maybe one or two that are a little, get less reliable. And then you got to learn to, to roll with it a little bit, even my good core group stuff happens. Um, and if you're thinking about getting in this, it's a big deal. If you're coming from a white collar company where people show up, do the job and leave, and it's not a lot of, you know, um, drama. I mean, you, 
you know, here's, here's like, a, you know, I you can't get the drive. I can't get a ride in. I, this happened. Maybe they lie to you and you kind of know, but you let it slide. Um, so yeah, I mean, I had a, one of the guys I got rid of just for, I didn't even think about this. He, uh, he couldn't come in. He sent me a picture of his car totals. But in the background, it was a junkyard of all total cars. <laughs> and I'm like, kind of like sarcastic. This is a guy who didn't work out. I, I didn't rid of him. But I was like sarcastically like, wow, it was like a tornado roll through there. And then the next day, he shows up with the car in perfect condition. And I'm like, <laughs> seriously? He's like, yeah, my cousin's really fast at fixing cars. I'm like, okay. I, um. And that's kind of, I mean, that, I mean, obviously that one was so blatant, but yeah, you just kind of, you got to roll with it, I guess. Um, there's, yeah. there's ways to make it easier. It'll probably 20%, probably one more guy than you need. Um, you got to give it, give where you can. And let, if they're, do a good job for the customer when they show up, like they're not like lying. Um, if they're fairly communicative, even if they miss a day every, couple two three weeks if they tell you uh they'll just disappear i think you you gonna have to roll with some of those guys um yeah. there's probably like a line i think there's a line where like hey if a guy like lied about doing a treatment or he like sprayed water or he like you know just a, a jerk to a customer there's probably lines where you're like okay that's it but if it's like hey you know I might have COVID, but he's probably really hungover. Um, you, you might have to roll with that. You know, it's kind of yeah. um, in that world, but I, it's hard. You know, I like yeah, it, it, this, how you put it, this line, because basically you come from a white collar environment and there are lines that you don't cross. And if you cross, you'll expect to get fired. Or if you see that behavior, you know, that person's going to get fired. You you can't burst into your boss's office and start screaming at them. Yep. But as I understand it, that might be within the line in blue collar, yeah. <laughs> you know, a blue collar environment. So you have to you have to define new lines or recalibrate yeah. your lines. And if you got if you have no experience in SMB, you might really just not know what they are, yeah. uh, what those lines are. And and so I guess talking to people like you, people who've been in it now and have some experiences maybe a, a good way to kind of gauge right? like it's because it, it's just got to be hard to know where that line is yeah. if you're new to this yeah like, wh what, is, what should i let slide and yeah. what shouldn't i yeah exactly and i probably get it wrong a lot yeah you know sometimes yeah. i ask the office manager they go what would the prior seller would have, what would he have done mm. in this situation so um but yeah it's hard hard to know um uh do you like it i not the bad stuff that we just talked about, just overall being overall. Oh my gosh. So I'm six months in. I feel like this is like it, it like I'm sure like a lot of guys you talk to. It depends on the hour or the day. Um yeah. I like I like the fact that I have control. It feels like I like almost like you know, it was it wasn't you know, it's obviously a lot of responsibility. You have a wife, kids, mortgage and and all that. But I like the fact that I'm in the game. I guess that makes sense. Yeah. And I can play the game against other people. And I think over time I'll succeed. So that's fun. Um, you know, because some, sometimes you get into, you know, I, I was usually in small corporations, but you, you, you kind of don't have that control and you don't know, you know, you're, you're probably a, a, 
you know, a cog. Um, but here I'm in control. Um, and I think if I show up every day and make good decisions, um, I think it's going to work out. Um, and I'm going to do my best trying. Maybe, maybe it doesn't, but, um, that's fun. It's almost like a, a sport to me, like, I guess, like a, a game. And so that's fun having that control and being in the game and uh, trying to win and strategize and think and always thinking. It, it does tend to consume you. So, I mean, you might say the hours are whatever, eight to seven to six, but it's really nonstop. Um, so that's the, it's hard to shut your mind off when, you, mm -hmm. when you're, you're running it. You, even at the size of this small, fairly straightforward business, um, always kind of thinking. <laughs> but to be clear about feeling like you're in the game, you feel like you're in the game now, and you did not feel that in your corporate past, because because you weren't the they protagonist. Weren't the, yes, yes, mm -hmm. that's right. Great. Uh, well, I want to he just hear a minute, Neil, on. Um, the pest control business. I like to ask my guests just about, um, you know, the industries that they're in. We've already mentioned many elements of it. Is there anything else to say? Because pest control is one that, you know, it's a classic home service and it's got, it's, it's recurring. So that's something to, to, to like about it over mm -hmm. some of the other home services, which are, which are, you know, you only, you only go to the person's yep. house when they call you. Yep. Um, and, uh, but, you know, it, I assume it's, pretty competitive, uh, low barriers to entry, yep. like, you know, the classic kind of guy in a truck and is, you know, a spray yep. sprayer and he's in business with you. Yep. So, so what, what would you tell people who might, uh, be looking at pest control businesses to buy? Uh, yeah, I think it's, um, it's competitive. A lot of big players, um, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a low barrier to entry. Like you said, I mean, you have to do some licensing and some training, but it's not, you know, insurmountable to be a guy in a truck so it's uh yeah you gotta you gotta compete i i, I think you have a lot of guys you know some of the big players like the you know, true greens at terminex who maybe they don't do as a thorough job but they're the price competitive like you like you, you heard those margins it, it's expected so um it's not easy but it's a good business and I, you know, I think, you know, you, it's, it's winnable. Um, but yeah, I, I really don't have anything to add except that's, it's very competitive. Um, and it's hard work, but it also can be very profitable with not a huge, um, you know, not a huge hurdle to get there. I mean, like you said, one, two, three, four, five million is not, outrageous within a region and it's uh you could probably get it geez a few percent market a few percent of the households that make a lot of money and get there in a region yeah um, yeah so also just this i mean we all know how appealing recurring revenue is but if you if you really look at it like so let's say let's call your margins 20 percent yeah hopefully they're higher you get i mean i think you should they should be higher as you should be 25 30 is across a million that's what my understanding but great yeah. so 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 even better let's say 20 25 percent just to be conservative yeah so so would i rather have and, and say i'm interested in home services would i rather have a plumbing business mm -hmm. that does 20 25 percent 
but I have to make the phone ring for every single job. Pretty much. I have to make the phone ring. Like there's, there's little to no recurring nature to that revenue. Uh, and, and for many home services mm -hmm. versus 20 to 25% margins and it's recurring. So I know what my revenue is yeah. going to be next month. And I, you know, yeah. even if the phone doesn't ring, I basically know what my revenue is going to be. When you kind of compare it that way, um, all else being equal, kind of similar yeah. businesses, but I one's wonder, recurring, one's not. Yeah. Is, I, the only is it thing, control a slam dunk? I, I don't know. I only thing I wonder is, let's say, I mean, we haven't had a, and you, I think consumers are struggling more than they have, but is the plumbing an emergency and the mosquito control nice to have? I guess that would be. Totally. That would yep. probably be the counterpoint. Yep. That's a good counterpoint. Yeah. One, one is one is a nice to have and one is a need to have. That's but I, I assume plumbing is, uh, I don't know, maybe it's because I look at every home service van on the highway now, uh, the amount of plumbing and HVAC <laughs> vans on the highway. Um, yeah. Is unbelievable. I don't know if that's new or if it's always been that way, but I just, maybe I noticed now. So it's probably also very competitive. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I noticed the same and I find myself looking at every uh, truck on the road as well. It, one of the other things actually, Neil, that you had said to me offline was that you, what, one of the things you liked about this business was that you really could understand the business. And I think by that you meant you could actually do the service delivery yourself Yeah. versus buying a plumbing business. You're never going to be yeah. a plumber and right. you're never going to really understand. I mean, you can understand, you know, 30,000 feet yeah. kind of understanding but you're really not going to understand how to do what your crews do. Yeah, and and, and you and you you thought it was a, a strong feature of this that you could understand it. In fact, do it yourself with yeah. you know yeah a few hours of training. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I can understand what yeah, exactly what what it what it is and what a good job is and exactly. Um, where yeah, if we go to those other businesses, uh, n not being able to get to that level does that leave you at a leadership uh, operational leadership disadvantage. Uh, relative right. to your employees. Right. Anything I didn't ask, Neil, that you wanted to make sure we talked about? I can't tell, uh, maybe because I'm in, uh, listening to these podcasts and his Twitter, the uh, small business acquisition world, is it is it like a bubble or is it booming or is it the same 25 people I see all the time? What's your thoughts on how the space is and then how it, it, do you see it changing over the next few years? Like what's your thoughts on the, yeah. the entire space? Well, all of my, uh, all of what I'll say here is anecdotal. So it's just from my, my own sense and then interacting with people on my podcast and then reading what I read. And then what I'm hearing from other people when I just talk to them and kind of networking events or meet them for lunch. Um, and for example, I just had lunch now with somebody who invests in SMB deals and he his deal flow is actually up despite the fact that interest rates are up, mm -hmm. despite that there are more searchers. Mm. Um, so, so, so that's just, you know, one data point from just top of mind from a couple of hours ago. But I, I, I would guess that basically there's more searchers all the time, that the space is growing year over year. Mm -hmm. There's evidence of that all over the place. I mean, there's, there's more and more people talking about it in content areas like like this podcast, but also on Twitter and elsewhere. Um, there are really big kind of content accounts that are pulling more people into the space. There's a proliferation of events around this. So there was, there was, you know, two or maybe kind of zero events when I, uh, first started two years ago that weren't hosted by a business school. And now there are three or four. Yeah. 
So, so you know, all all of this tells me that the space is just is growing a lot, yeah. um, or at least I, you know it's it's hard to say what the year over year percentage growth is, but that it's definitely growing. Yeah. Now the question is: is it is is it a bubble and or is the silver tsunami that yeah, we hear so exactly. much about real? And so on the on the bubble front, I. I mean, I think with anything that gets really, really exciting, it, for, first of all, let me preface this by saying it's hard for me to be objective about it because I'm in it. So I'm yeah. living and breathing SMB acquisition all the time and talking to multiple people about it a week. So it's hard for me to kind of have a sense of what the normies, yeah. <laughs> the people who are not in this space, yeah. how much they're actually seeing it. Um, but it feels like there's just a lot of attention on it. Things, you know, they peak and then they recede a little bit. So I have to believe we're kind of on an up upward trajectory of this and that there will be some recession at some point of it. Some It'll recede a little bit. Am I going to be competing against 25 HBS 32-year-olds and like uh, that? And yeah, that's yeah, it, right? I, yeah, exactly. The happy news to that point, I, I mean, who knows where, yeah. what the upper limit is of how many searchers can, there can be. Yeah. But I do think that the, um, this is a hard path that's definitely not for most people. Yeah. So there's a, there's like a natural ceiling yeah. to people who'd even want to do this. Yeah. And, and I think it takes a certain personality type. I think it takes a certain, you know, you gotta be entrepreneurial. You gotta want to, as you, what was your, the way you put it, kind of be in the game, feel like you're in the game. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's not everybody at all. So nope. there's just kind of a natural ceiling yeah, to it. Yeah, sometimes I feel like just... I don't know if I want to be in it. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, but I'm in. <laughs> so, so there you go. Uh, so I think there's that. Um, but I, so there's just a lot of, there's a lot of um, kind of barriers somebody's got to surmount yeah. to actually yeah. truly go out there and buy a small business. Yeah, I agree. And then just the thing on the silver tsunami, I, I've, I've come to be a little bit skeptical about that. I mean, there are retiring business owners and, and, and probably a swelling of them now. But the idea that there's just going to be, I mean, you got, all you have to do is be in search for five minutes before you realize that this idea that you can go out and pluck a great business off a tree yeah. and own it yeah. is total nonsense. Yeah. So, um, so I don't know where we are in the silver tsunami yeah. or what, but it's not going to be like you throw a rock and hit a great business that yeah. you can just buy for 3X. No, right. um, it's not, that's just not going to happen. Yeah. I don't think. Um, so, um, yeah. Asking me the questions. I like yeah, it. You know? yeah. we'll, see, we'll see if I keep this in. <laughs> I realize, you know, when, when when I get asked a question, you know, it, it helps me empathize with my guests because you got to, you know, you got to think on your feet yeah. and, and uh, organize your thoughts. Yeah. And for somebody who sits behind a mic all day, that actually, it's it's easier to ask the questions than to answer them. So, you know, I felt I felt a little rambly there, like I, <laughs> I need to tighten that up. And now I know why my yeah. guests get nervous. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> cool. Yeah, this is great. Neil, yeah. if, if, if anyone wants to reach out, how do you prefer they do that? LinkedIn's probably easiest. Just look me up on LinkedIn. It'll be pretty great. easy to find. Yeah. And we'll, we'll link to it in the notes. So good deal. Yeah. Looking forward to I'll talk no to anybody too. I like um, networking. So it'd be great. Okay. Great. Yeah. There, there's open invitation, uh, everyone. Well, uh, be eager to eager to see where you're at in a year. I uh, know. And if you're still waking up at 3 a.m. Uh, or if you've, you know, if, if you figured out where the line is in terms of managing your, your team. I uh, know. All, all of these things that are very in process now. I'll uh, be eager to see where you, where you sit in a year. Me too. Yeah. Six months in is an interesting <laughs> time. Good deal. Thanks a lot, Neil. All right. Thanks a lot. It was really fun. <laughs>